Well, we're continuing our series uh, called Galatians, and this is week three of that series, and I'm honored to be able to introduce to you today someone who is special in my life that's going to come and preach to you. And I want to say a few words about Pastor Tracy Reynolds before he comes this morning. Uh, Pastor Tracy and I first met at Emmanuel College. I was a student there, and he was a campus pastor And he was extremely instrumental in my step into ministry as uh, he basically invited me into um, an interview role with the church in Athens, which he actually served in. And so my first ministry position was at a church that Pastor Tracy also served at, and he and I served together for eight years. He is now the dean of the School of Christian Ministries at Emmanuel College, and uh, he's actually an overseer of Synergy Church. I like to tell people from time to time that um, you can relate to this if you're in a leadership position, that at times leadership can be extremely lonely, that certain situations that you have to navigate as a leader uh, require that you navigate certain things, and you have to do it alone sometimes. But I'm so thankful that we have a board of overseers at Synergy Church that can walk with me through difficult situations just several weeks ago, I had a, a situation that I had to navigate through, and uh, Pastor Tracy was actually in Manila, Philippines, on a mission trip, serving around the world, and took time out of his schedule to FaceTime with me, uh, to give me wise counsel, and to pray with me that God would uh, be with us through a difficult situation. And it's things like that that I love about Tracy Reynolds. He is a friend of mine. Uh, for, for about a year, I actually slept in his home, with his son, I was actually on a mattress on the floor. I was a young, uh, just graduated college student, and he, uh, he reached out and did a lot for me. When no one believed in me, when few people believed me, I can say Pastor Tracy has always believed in me, and I am forever thankful for Pastor Tracy Reynolds. So will you help me honor him as he comes to preach for us today, and welcome <laughs> Pastor Tracy Reynolds. Well, good morning. Thank you for that uber-gracious introduction. <laughs> Uber means a whole lot of graciousness, thank you. It's my privilege to be back with you at Synergy. Um, I believe in what God is doing here. I'm a Bear accounting, and I'm I'm a Windarian or Windo, whatever you call us guys. Uh, Yeah, and and I graduated. The crazy thing is I graduated from Windobera High School 40 years ago this year. I don't even bother with the math. You can't count that high. Uh, but, but, but the deal is, that's a long time, you know, I, or, or so it seems. It, didn't, it feels less that way than it did when I was seven, I promise you. But it's incredible what the Lord is doing through Synergy here in town. And I'm so pleased. You know, overseer, I don't even know what that means. I, I think we're just undergirders, you know. That's probably the more uh, appropriate role for that. It's an honor to be a part of, of this church. And I've been making this journey through Galatians with you. Uh, you may not uh, know that, but I've read. It has been cool. I, I was kind of at a different place in my quiet time. So I, I just kind of went with it. So, you know, I'm going to read Galatians with you guys. So I've done that. And uh, I've gotten through chapter 3. And I'm going to keep going 4, 5, and 6. Uh, I can count that high. So we're going to make it to the end of that. But it's been blessing me. And you need to know that I also attend church with you online almost every week. I listen to the podcast. And you, we are blessed with such a fantastic pastor in Bronson. He's a fantastic communicator. And more than that, he has such a heart for Jesus. And he just works really, really hard. I know you know that. So we're going to pick up right where we left off in Galatians chapter 3. And can we pray right quick? And we help me get focused. Father, I thank you that your word is what we came to hear. 
not mine. So God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just turn on the lights spiritually so we can see what it is you want to share with each and every one of us, Lord, as Galatians and that letter from Paul can just radically transform and change our lives and set us free to live in a whole new way for you. And God, we just thank you so much for that reality happening now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we grew up believing that um, what I call the good Christian myth. I mean, your mom and daddy probably told you all that you need to grow up and find you a good Christian girl or a good Christian guy to marry. They probably even encouraged you to be a good Christian boy or girl. And that's not all bad, but the premise is really wrong. See, being Christian, ladies, is a lot like being pregnant. Either you is or you ain't. You are or you're not. There's no, no real uh, kind of, I'm just a little bit pregnant today, you know? A sort of pregnant, no, it's just you either are or you're not. So really, there's no good Christian or bad Christian. There's just Christian. It's the same idea that plays out in the way that we live our lives. I mean, we seem to think that if we do good things, then God loves us better. And if we do bad things, then God loves us a little less. But the truth is, God loves us, period. And that reverberates through the book of Galatians. See, Galatians is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia, which is now called Turkey. Paul, formerly Saul, was an apostle, which is a fancy word, meaning he's somebody who's really good at starting stuff. They're initiators or pioneers or planters or startup specialists. Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, which was the non-Jewish people who lived in the region around Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He started churches. And after investing in a church for a while and raising up leaders, he would leave and go start another church and develop some more people. And he did that several times in his lifetime. And along the way, Paul communicated with the churches and their leaders through letters that he wrote that are called epistles. Now, some of you I know think that epistles are the wives of the apostles, but that's not true. Um, they're the letters, and you know, half of our New Testament are actually the epistles or the letters. So we have the Pauline epistles or the letter of Paul to the churches or the church leaders. Now, some of them are named after the city that it was written to, like Galatians or Colossians or Philippi or, or Corinthians. Uh, and then some of them are actually named after the people, the leader there, like Timothy or Titus uh, or Philemon. And something else I've noticed in my walking through life that there's really kind of two gospels out there, kind of sort of. There's the one gospel in our culture that demands that we do a lot of good stuff in order for God to love us. But then there's the other one, the real one, that requires us to trust the Lord and his sufficiency and his efficacy. Uh, it's like the first one is all about do, but the second one is all about done. When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying it is done, transaction complete. One is about working for approval tirelessly, and it's dead religion. But the other is a relationship where we're accepted in Jesus and we live for him. Now, the first sermon in this series highlighted the two trees, which is really the second story in the book of Genesis. You had the tree of the knowledge of 
good and evil, and the tree of life. Now, we learned that we're supposed to live in the tree of life. And in the, Bronson did a fantastic job of orienting us there. Then in the second week, uh, we learned, you know, that we kind of, there's like a vine between the two, and we kind of swing over to the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good, and we swing back over and live a while in the tree, and we kind of do that, right? So he said, we need to learn how to live in that second tree by putting to death our former life and being crucified with Christ. And I particularly enjoyed the story about potty training. That was great. Remember that? I have a three-year-old granddaughter, and we, we understand that. But today in chapter three, I want to share with you how Paul interrupts the entire letter to make one very strong point. He basically says, now this is the gospel. This is grace defined. And if you notice in, in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 1, he says, now this is a great way to start. Right? He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Have you ever started a letter or an email like that? You foolish person. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if it, you'd seen a picture or a portrait of his death on the cross. Let me ask you one question, Paul says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? There he goes again. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? He's like going, what are you doing? Now, if you notice there, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Where the word evil spell is kind of like evil eye. Or maybe you around your house, it was called the stink eye. Now, I grew up in the Methodist church here in Winder. And both my grandmama and my mama sang in the choir. So there was never a minute in a worship service any Sunday that I didn't have Two or four eyes focused on me. And if I got just a little bit, if I, you know, if I talked too much, if I punched my brother, then I knew that just that one little look, the stink eye. I knew that, man, there was going to be a little bit more than just a few, a bad look, maybe some words, maybe a little more than that at the end of the day. You know, the message, the Bible says this in a way that even I can understand. It says, you crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Now, Paul's kind of hacked off. This whole Galatians letter, by the way, which can be absolutely life-changing, he's all about this, this whole movement of, of becoming free in him. So watch what he says next. For the meaning of Jesus, Christ's death was as clear to you as if it, you'd seen a picture of his death on the cross. It's vivid. It's clear. But then he goes on. So let me, let me ask you, did, did you receive Jesus by, by doing the right stuff? He said, absolutely not. How is that working for you? You see, they were reverting to an old way, but we all get it. Before we go, well, I can't believe those Galatians did that. Like I said before, we tend to start out by faith, but we kind of believe that Jesus plus something makes us righteous. And that's not true. Paul said, listen, man, that's never worked. You do realize, don't you, that you don't have to commit a bunch of sins to be a sinner, right? I mean, you only have to murder one person to be a murderer. You only have to tell one lie to be a liar. I only have to cheat one time to be a cheat or a cheater. You get it? I only have to sin one time to be a sinner. The Bible says that we've all sinned. 
we know this verse. Romans 3, 23 says, for all. Say that with me. All. Now, that would mean exactly what it says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But see, because of our sin, we can't be in God's presence because God and sin really can't hang out in the same room together. They're mutually exclusive like oil and water. Sin is actually a a sports term taken from archery. Now, I was a Boy Scout, and I went to Camp Rainy Mountain, and they taught me how to, now I'm not any good at it, uh, but, but an archery, you know, that's where you set up that round thing, what do you call that? The target, yeah, and in the middle of the target is the the bullseye, yeah. So you come back here, and I got the bullseye back there, and you go twang. And wherever that arrow hits, the distance from the bullseye to where the arrow hit is the sin. Did you know that? It literally means to miss the mark or to miss the bullseye. And yeah, occasionally, I mean, I guess if you play golf enough, you might get a hole in one. If you shoot the arrow enough times, you might hit the bullseye. But nobody hits the bullseye every time. Now, the problem with all that is that God wants us to be in a relationship with him. He wants us to be with him in relationship. That's where Christianity and every other religion part ways. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, for the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? Well, that's what you get for what you do. If you work a week, you expect a week's worth of wages. If you work a day, you expect a day's worth. It's what you get for what you do. Sin, we've said, was the how far we miss the mark. Whether I miss it by a micrometer or a mile, I still miss the mark. The wages of sin is death. And he's not just talking about dying. He's talking about being eternally separated forever without any remedy. No way back to God. You see, the gospel is really about what God does for us. I've always believed that religion is man's reaching up for God. But Christianity is when God reached down to man and made a way. I remember a song I learned uh, just after I got saved. It said, he paid a debt he didn't owe. He paid a debt. He didn't even owe it. I owed a debt. On the other hand, I couldn't pay. But that's what we're talking about here. By the way, have you ever... Don't raise your hands, okay? Have you ever, like, gotten in debt to the point where you just felt like you'd never get out of it? We got married in 1979, and I was was a starving musician on the road. My wife, thank God, was a first-grade teacher, and she is the only one who made any money that year. So that year, I cost us $5,000. So all I got for the end of being on the road for a year was $5,000 in debt, right? Which my wife was a little bit bitter about, just to be cute. I mean, it was like, what in the world are you doing to me? Uh, we did provide a place to stay and a little bit of food and stuff like that. But then in the next year, our response to that was, you know, have you noticed that, you know, that plastic thing that, you know, they just want to send you on, you turn 16 and you lay it down? Well, we got $1,000. Now, you're going, what's $1,000? Listen, when you ain't got no money, $1,000 might as well be a million dollars. So we got $6,000 in debt, and I'm just going, we will never, ever get out of it. Well, that's the feeling here. That's the feeling. You see, the gospel, the flip side of of, of that Romans 6 is that, that God did this. He said, but the gift, now the gift is something you get when you don't do nothing. The gift of God is eternal life. Where? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the best news you're ever, ever, ever going to to get. By the way, have you ever had anybody buy your, I, mean, I was in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru line one time, and, and I got up to pay for my stuff, 
And, and the girl says, oh, no, no, I pulled out my, my, my wallet. And she says, oh, no, the cat in the, in, in the car in front of you paid for it. And I went, what? I didn't even see who was in the car in front of me. And I, at the point, I'm kind of wishing my whole family had been there so I could really gotten a lot of pain for them. You know, uh, well, no, not exactly. I felt really humbled by that because, I mean, why? Because, I mean, they didn't eat my lunch. I ate my lunch. And it felt weird for somebody. Well, that's the deal of the gospel. Look in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Now, that's a strong word. For the Bible, the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands. Would you say those words with me? All the commands. Now, there's that all word again. All, not some of them, not most of them, that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. That's really plain. The way I read that, Nobody can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says it's through what? Faith that a righteous person has been made right. You see, it's in completely impossible to consistently obey all of God's law. And because of that, it only takes one little slip up for us to be a sinner. So we're like, we're in the tank, man. Except for this, James chapter 2. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking the whole thing. So, so have you ever stopped and thought, well, what's the deal with the law? What was that all about? So what do we learn? Here's the deal. What do we learn from the law? One, the law couldn't be obeyed and still can't be obeyed. That's important. Two, whatever thing you're good at, Maybe you're good at going to church. Maybe you're good at, at, at praying. Maybe you're good at studying the Bible. Maybe you're good at memorizing scripture. Maybe you're good at giving. That, that no matter, you can never do enough of that thing you're good at to make up the difference. You see, none of these things can actually change us. None of these things, the law can't cure you. It can't make you better. Or change your life completely. The problem in our culture, we Americans think that if we do something wrong, that if we can just do a little something right, just this week, can I give an example of that? Now, I'm not, this is not going to be a political statement one way or the other, just an observation on my part. And we have to be careful. You know, a terrible thing happened in Charleston, one of my favorite vacation places. We're going up there Saturday for a week. But can you believe nine people were gunned down in a Bible study that was totally hate-motivated, totally racially motivated? I thought we were so done with that. Friday, Friday, they took the Confederate flag off the, 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 the state house steps. Now, again, that doesn't change a thing about the nine people that had funerals. And the fact, you know, but again, in our culture, we kind of think, well, why don't we do a little something? And I heard one of the guys, the civil rights leaders say, listen, don't be deceived. We really today have really not done anything. And that's really pretty true. Pretty true. It only takes one thing to miss the whole thing. I just came to realization one day. I used to think, I think, that it was on my worst day that I'd sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But just flip that around. It's really about on my best day. On my best day. I still sin and fall short of the glory of God. So, so what is the purpose of the law? Why the law? Why is there even an entire Old Testament? Well, the answer is this. God wanted you and I to be so frustrated 
that we cannot do it ourselves, that we have to look somewhere else for an answer. Did you catch what I said? He wanted the frustration to rise in us so much. We realized, listen, we can't attain to that. So in chapter 3, verse 24, look what he says. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. Another word for that in other translations is tutor. I've spent a, a good bit of time in the Philippines. And one of the things I noticed in Filipino culture is they have yayas. A yaya is basically a paid babysitter who helps raise the kids. And when the mom and dad isn't there, even in a lower middle class home, they may have a yaya, somebody who comes alongside. It's like a surrogate mom or dad who's there to help. Well, that's what he's talking about here. It was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Another translation says it this way. In the NIV, it says, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified, not by what we did, but by faith. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under the law's supervision. Now listen to me. The law was never the plan of God for our salvation. It never was. It wasn't like God had plan A and that was the law. And then, oh my gosh, those Israelites, those crazy guys, they blew it and they blew it and they blew it. Finally, I said, okay, enough. I'll come up with a better plan. No, 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 no. That is not Christianity. The law was only there, he says, to look over our lives as a tutor, to push us in the direction until the fullness of time where Jesus was. The law leads us to Christ. He was always plan A. He was the Lamb of God. We sang it this morning, slain before the foundation of the world. Well, today, this message is dedicated to those among us who've spent their entire lives trying to be good enough for God. Or having come to Christ thinking somehow we've still got to perform and we've, we, 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 we believe we've in our heads and our, our hearts in a deep place that, that God really loves us, but we look in the mirror every day and we're condemned. Can I just share to you that in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what's the worst kind of condemnation? The self-kind. Good stuff. So what happened there? You know what? You just did it wrong. Instead of trying to do all the right stuff, what we did, we need to run to Jesus. We need to experience Christ. We need to experience the grace of God. And when we do, a miracle happens. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. That when we come to him, he takes that from the inside out. It's an inside job. And he turns us inside out and he begins to shape us more into the character. And all that stuff we pray for, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all that stuff, God's working in us slowly as he makes us into a new creation. But when we cross over that line of faith, there's something miraculous that happens. Galatians 3.24 says this, For the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we were made right with God through faith. Christianity doesn't make us do right. It wants us to be made right. That's huge. So today, if you'll humor me, I want to give you very quickly an acronym, just simply uh, G-R-A-C-E. And I learned this first from uh, Saddleback, from Pastor Rick Warren, and I'm pretty sure it's not uh, original with him. But the acronym is this, grace. G, God's grace is a free gift. Would you say the word gift? There we go. It's a good job. It can't be earned. You can't do enough. Jesus' gift was his life. 
You know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I can only imagine maybe the harder thing than dying on the cross was watching Jesus die on the cross. I mean, parents, can you imagine the father watching the son die? <laughs> My son Justin was into big time Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I got him one of those blind, you know what he calls the, cross your eyes, yeah, that thing. And, and the big turtle, it was a green plastic shell. And one day it was raining and he was playing outside and my car, we, we, I backed the car back, you know, so it would not be in his way. And so he's on the carport, we're playing around. And, and then um, the, somehow the shell got pulled over his eyes and he's just running full force and he hit, boom, he ran right into the bumper on my car. And oh my goodness, the blood started gushing out of his mouth. And, and he loosened all the teeth right down here, but he knocked two from right through the bottom gum. And I mean, it was like crazy amount of blood. And so it was on a Saturday, so the dentist really wasn't in full force. They were taking the day off, so we called him up, met him over there, and I had to suddenly become the dental assistant. Oh my gosh. Now, Justin did okay. He's kind of squeamish, but you know, you get around, and you're, it's funny how God gives you grace when it's your kid, right? So I'm standing there, and Justin did great until they pulled out that. And what is the deal? Why are, are, are syringes, I mean, they're like silver. I mean, the Lone Ranger rides in with a syringe, and it's silver, and it's huge. It's like going to get this massive shot. It takes two people to pull it back. And it's not that big. But it looks that big if it's coming at you. And he did fine. His eyes got huge. And he looks over at me like, Dad, Dad, do something, do something. But I knew that it was better for him if he got the Novocaine, because you can imagine sewing up the lip without it, mm, that would have been bad. But imagine the father looking at the son, saying, I know, he's looking at you and he's looking at me, and he lets Jesus go through the pain. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8, I love this, says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we weren't even looking for Jesus, Jesus is loving on us. I um, heard a story of two veterans flying back from the Middle East in the 90s. And there was this one guy in a wheelchair, and there's this other guy that was sitting in a, in a regular seat. And the, uh, the, the flight attendants noticed that all during the flight that if the guy, he, he was a quadriplegic. And they both had on uniforms and T-shirts. And, and um, every time the guy would drool, he would wipe the drool. Every time the guy sneezed, he would, would, you know, would wipe his nose. He fed him his meal, and when he got things all over him, he cleaned him up. He even took him to the bathroom and did all that thing. And After the, the guy in the wheelchair went to sleep, one of the flight attendants came over and said, I've noticed how you really care, and it's just so inspiring how you care for the needs. Is he your brother? And he says, no, ma'am. Well, not technically, but he is my brother. You see, we were in Iraq, and... He took a bullet for me, a bullet that was intended for me. He stepped in front of. And the truth is, ma'am, that after what he's done for me, there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. After what Jesus has done for me and for you, there really, as a gift, there really shouldn't be anything we wouldn't do for him. So God's grace is a free gift. Secondly, it's received or by faith. Would you say received? Good job. Do you know what faith is? Um, it's not belief in something. 
It's trust in something. If I say I trust you, I'm not saying that, that, I, I, I know, that, that I believe in you as a person. I'm saying that I trust you. I believe in you. I believe that you're going to do what you say. I find you trustworthy. Christianity is not a belief system. You know, you say, well, I believe in God, and I believe, well, the devil believes that. I believe in Jesus, well, the devil believes, and I'm pretty sure he's not a Christian. It's not a belief that he exists, but it crosses the line and says, I put my trust in you. It literally means to roll the weight of our being in him. I believe that Jesus' sacrifice for me was enough. It was sufficient. It was more than enough. But it's like the card game. It requires us to be all in. And you got to understand this. If you're up against that line of faith, if you're at a point right now in your life and you're like, I mean, you're just like this close to stepping over the line of faith. It's like, you know, it's just like, I'm just so close to committing. You can't know this miracle I've been talking about until you actually step over that line. I, I need to tell you that. Then, and it's kind of like saying, what intellectual ascent. You're not just going to be talked into it. There's a point where you got to be done with that and you believe and you step over the line and say, you know what? I believe and I put my trust in that. I roll my weight into that. It's kind of like saying, well, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't eat broccoli or asparagus. That was a big one for me, asparagus, right? Any, any asparagus haters here? Because that stuff, it smells bad, eh? And, and it tastes bad. And then my wife says, well, have you ever eaten it? I was going, well, no. How do you know? Well, can I just say the same thing to you? I mean, Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever tasted of him? Try it. You'll like it. Um, I was in high school here in my senior year. Mrs. Smith was my government teacher. And she was a sweet little lady. But man, she had some spunk going on. And we were sitting in the class, right before class one day. And there was a girl in front of me who was a very devout Christian. She had a sweet, sweet sister. And she was arguing with this dude across the aisle. And I was just trying not to be able to. But at a certain point, I heard him say, hey, Christianity's just a crutch. And, and have you ever had one of those moments where you know you're not smart enough to come up with, came out, with, with what came out of your mouth? Well, I had one of those. It was like, you know, God gives this drop. And I said, hey, you, you, you. You're right. I kind of tell you something. Christianity's not a crutch. It's a wheelchair. I'm just saying. It's not a self-help program. It's a gift. It's got to be received. And thirdly, it's available for everybody. Would you say available? available. Good job. May we never reach a place, Synergy Church, or in every church in America, where we exist for us. Let me say that again. May we never reach a place where it's really about all the people who come to church. No. The reason you do all that you read, the reason that you go to all this trouble every week is because of your love for those folks out there. It is. You exist for people, I've read it on the screen, who are far from God. That's who we exist for. And it's available. To if you don't believe me, hey, remember Jesus? The, 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 he was there one day. It was early in the morning. There were a lot of people around, and he's in the temple courts. And they drug this lady in who'd been caught in adultery, and there she is. She's all naked, and there's a bunch of guys around. Don't know where the dude was. That wasn't right. But Jesus began, he says, you know, hey, listen. He starts to write in the sand. He says, let him who's without sin throw the first rock. And one by one, Scripture says they left, starting with the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus turns around to the lady and says, listen, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And to which she says, no one, sir. And he says, what? 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's available. Jesus is hanging on a cross, and there's a thief on either side. There's a killer and a thief, and, and this one guy says, you know, starts harassing him. The other guy rebukes him from the cross. Can you imagine? Through their pain. And he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, surely I tell you, you will be with me today in paragraphs. Well, what, what did that dude do to get saved? Nothing except trust Jesus even as he took his last. It's available. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, I'm struggling whether I want to share this or not. My family, probably like your family, um, it's easy to be prejudiced and biased and to, to have strong beliefs about things when, when it's nameless and faceless. You know what I mean? Um, about 10 days ago, uh, I have, uh, part of my family, uh, I've, we have uh, homosexuals and, and gays on, on every side of our family. And they've been part of our family for a long, long time. And they come to all of our events at home at Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff like that. And, and after about 15, 20 years of that, um, I was so honored that about 10 days ago, my phone rang, and it was one of my cousins who, um, they had actually been going to church for a while, um, for about a year, and as a couple and as a family with her mom and, and whatnot. And then after about a year, she'd asked the pastor if she could be baptized. And the pastor said he had to get with the elders on that, and and she was devastated. She's like, wait a minute. You won't baptize me because I have a same-sex attraction that I've had? And, and we had this conversation. We had to come over to the house. We spent about four hours together and prayed with her. And I just had her tell her story. And Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. The pain and the hurt. And, I mean, so we're sitting there, and she says at some point, you know, I knew when I was in third grade something was different about me. And... um. I got to thinking about that. You know, because the deal was, you know, I, I was born this way. But you know, the truth of the matter is, we were all born this way. Yeah. Some of us were born with a proclivity to eat too much. Some of us were born with a proclivity. My brother had a terrible problem with lying. Some of us were born with issues with lust. Some of us were, were, were born with just being egocentric and, and, and self-centered. Or, or um, We all have those things we were born with, but God loves us the way we are, but he loves us way too much to let us stay there. And we began to process this whole thing of, this is available to you, sweetheart. But he loves you so much. He's working in your heart and life. So it's a gift that's received. It's available. And it's only through Christ. It's only through Christ. Say the word Christ with me. Thank you. See, salvation, I know that sounds narrow. I know that sounds like that is, oh my gosh, that, that's not politically correct to say that. But you gotta understand something. There's something fundamentally different here. Jesus was different than every other religious figure. You see, Jesus was the only person who dealt with our real problem. He's the only one who ever really brought a solution. All the others that came were good people. They, they offered a better life, but Jesus was the one who came, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, rose from the grave, and bridged the gap between God and man. He's the only one who's ever done that. 
John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4, 2, 12 says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only one who dealt with the problem. So he really is, even by fact of that, pretty exclusive as a Savior. Amen? Number five, E. It's extended throughout eternity. I want you to imagine that Let's say that this, is, this represents you. And we were born into this vine. This, my arm's a vine, okay? And this is the vine of the first Adam. It has a beginning. We ha- I mean, in, in all the Old Testament, all the, and, uh, the uh, genealogies, we'll say he was born here and he died here. Adam had a definite birth date and he had a definite death date, right? But see, here's God over here. Uh, and he's like, no, he's no beginning of days, no end of days. He's like always been. He doesn't change, you know. And this is where we need to be, but here's where we are. So the question is, how do we get from here to over here? Well, Paul goes, not in this chapter, but in Corinthians, Paul says, listen, he grafted us in. He took us and literally sowed us into this vine and made us new. And can I show you something that happens there? When we're in this vine, you get a new past. Cool. You get a new future, but because you got a new past and a new future, we also have the possibility of a new present. Are you listening to me? By grace, we've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no person can boast. So grace is a free gift received by faith, available to everybody, only through Christ, extended through all eternity. And it sums it up in Galatians 3, chapter, verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on a new set of clothes. I like that. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul in Titus says these words, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, what? The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives, this whole process of changing from the inside out, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us, to buy us back from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, catch this part, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, Galatians, in chapter 3 in particular, It's all about God changing our want-tos. To me, grace is when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. It's what, when in me, what I ought to be becomes who I want to be. And sometimes my very best prayer in that situation is, God, maybe it's not God, I want what you want. Maybe I'm not there. Maybe that's not where you are. But your best prayer is, God, I want to want what you want. I want you to imagine that there's this ladder and it starts down here at the bottom and it goes way up here. And God is at the very top of that. It's all about, you see, God and all his righteousness and holiness. And then at the bottom is people like axe murderers, the worst, most despicable human beings ever born. And imagine, if I were to ask you, you know, if I were going to play, who would be a moral person? Who's somebody that, man, throughout all of history, and I've asked that question before, and some people would say, well, Mother Teresa. 
I mean, she was, you know, she lived among the poor for over 50 years. I said, well, take an X and somewhere, write on this piece of paper with this down here and the thing of that, write on here where you think her name would go. And they might put MT, Mother Teresa, right there. Somewhere usually above the middle line. They say, well, how about somebody from our generation? Is there somebody a little closer to, you know, and then sometimes a lot of people say, hey, Billy Graham or Martin Luther King Jr. And I say, well, you do me a favor. On this, this, this scale, this ladder, put where you think maybe where they would be on this morality thing. And they come, usually it's pretty close to Mother Teresa, maybe a little above, a little below. They say, well, look, well, you don't know me very well, but do me a favor. Uh, you, you know what you think of me, so would you t- I can tell you I'm not perfect. Uh, they probably already knew that. I said, let me give you the opinion. You, where do you think I should go? And every time, they always put me below Billy Graham and way below Mother Teresa. I'm somewhere in that deal. But I'm also not down with the max axe murderers, right? So I'm somewhere between those two. Then I hand them the pen and I say this. Where would you put yourself? And almost always, they'll place their name somewhere, either right around or just below my name. Then I go back and say, now, did you notice something? Between Mother Teresa and God, there's a gap. Now, here's what I know. Mother Teresa claimed that the grace of God made the difference for her gap. And Billy Graham, there's a gap between where Billy Graham was and where they, I said, I know this, that Billy Graham trusted Jesus for his gap. And I can tell you for me that as a senior in high school, Windy Barrow High School, I gave my life to Jesus and I trusted Jesus for my gap. And the question is this, what are you trusting for your gap? Can I just share to you that Galatians 3 says this, anything less than grace is not worthy of your trust for your gap. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Tracy. Before we end our time together, I want us to talk about our gaps real quick. Where our morality, where our righteousness ends, the gap between there and Christ and God can only be filled, like Pastor Tracy was saying, stepping across a line of faith. where a religious approach to life and being good enough for God isn't the solution. A trust in Jesus and what he's already done for us is the solution. And you may be here today and I don't know, maybe you've been around church or maybe you haven't. Maybe you know what it means to do the right things or what it looks like to act like a Christian, but you've never crossed the line and placed your faith in Jesus and you've never received the only thing that can close the gap between you and God, and that's the grace and the sacrifice of a loving God that sent his son Jesus to die for you. And today, maybe through the words that Pastor Tracy spoke to us, you just feel like God is drawing you into allowing him to fill your gap. And you wanna cross that line say it's not enough for me to be close to the things of God, but I want to surrender to the things of God. And if that's you today, I simply want to ask you to cross the line, to place your faith in Christ. Like he said, Romans chapter 10, 13, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you'll be saved. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask us all just to close our eyes, bow our heads, And you say, today I'm ready to fill that gap with the grace of Christ. And I'm going to place my faith in Jesus and start a relationship with the creator of the world. Would you just raise your hand? No 
one's looking around and no one's going to embarrass you or call you out. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand as a sign of saying today, I want to cross that line of faith. I don't see any hands up, so you can look at me. I trust that we've all crossed that line of faith. Only you and God know that. But here's the prayer that I want to pray as we end our time together. For those of us who have crossed that line and still have a tendency to want to work hard enough, to be good enough, to make God proud of us, to prove that we're worthy of his sacrifice, can I just pray that we'll be reminded that we'll never be good enough for his sacrifice and we'll never be worthy of the gift that he's given us and there's nothing that we will ever do to fully deserve what he's freely given us and can we just together surrender wholeheartedly all of us to all of him and trust that the grace of Christ is enough and we can stand in that grace and we can live a life of freedom no condemnation even when we fall short which is going to happen let me pray for us Lord thank you for your gift to us and thank you that we don't have to earn it because we can't earn it and thank you that you have done for us what we feel a need to do for ourselves and I pray Father that you would just free us from that mentality that those of us who have crossed the line of faith would stand in your grace, would stand in your mercy, would stand in your gift of salvation and allow your righteousness to wash over us, that we would be in you something that we could never be in ourselves. I pray that any condemnation that we carry around through this life because of our faults and failures and our shortcomings would be lifted even in this moment that you would give us a new perspective on the gospel of Jesus, which isn't about earning your love and your trust, but about receiving your love and your trust. And may we be a church that extends that same love and trust to anyone that ever walks through these doors, that we would be a church that loves people because you love people. May we walk and stand in your freedom and may you do in us and through us what only you can do. And may our response to you be to want to do good, to want to honor you, to desire the things that you desire because we have freely received and now we freely give the love of Jesus. And I pray your blessing on every man, woman, and student who's heard this message today, that they would walk in the freedom. And if there is anyone here today that hasn't quite stepped across that line of faith, would you continue to draw them and help them to understand that you're the only solution to our gap and our shortcoming in being who you called us to be and the purpose that you've placed upon our lives. And for that, we'll give you the glory, honor, and praise in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Tracy. Will you help me give him a round of applause just to say thank you for being with us. Always an honor to have you.